Hey Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. How's your Tuesday going? Nah, not great. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Tuesday's not a good day, is it? It's like a, it's not like hump day, like Wednesday, but it's, it's just like a nothing day. Yeah. This is the one thing I do on Tuesday that's enjoyable, so... <laughs> The weekend feels like it was a distant memory already, and uh, the next one isn't for a long time. But the weekend was really fun because we got to see each other. It was really fun, yeah. And we got to go to a park, have some beers, and go to a pub, and sat outside and played silly games and stuff. So throwing sticks at sticks. I mean, throwing sticks at sticks. Yeah. So if people out there need a good fun um, park game, Cub is a game that I've played for years and years. But it's it's made this like resurgence in the last like during lockdown where people have discovered that outside exists, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Cub is is back again, so go and look that up. It's real good fun. It's essentially throwing sticks and sticks. Yeah. And soon it will be an Olympic event. <laughs> we will be there. Actually, <laughs> neither of us were that good, were we? No, not, not particularly. <laughs> not average. We're not terrible, but we were pretty average. Um, what have you got planned for the rest of your week? Not much, really. It's uh, someone's birthday at the weekend, so I'm going to go to Brighton for a pub crawl. Oh, that sounds awesome. It should be good. I miss Brighton. I haven't been in such a long time. My boyfriend's parents live quite near Brighton, and he was actually born in Brighton. Mm. Good place to be born. As is the person I'm about to do today. So this is the Brighton episode. Ah. I know. Awesome. Wow. What a coincidence. Yeah, and I love it though. It's so so much fun. (laughs) But it is, it's almost like too much fun. If I live there, I'd probably like not get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> be dead. Or just be dead. Be in the sea all the time. That's the thing. When I go to the seaside, I just want to be in the sea. I don't know. I've never been a f- fan of like going in the sea. I'm not really a fan of beaches either. It's not fair. the beach. I'm not really a fan of just like sitting on the beach and being like, ah, I'm on the beach. That doesn't, that is all sandy and shit. But I love swimming and I love outdoor swimming because you know I go to the Lido. Oh, yeah. I love the sensation of being completely immersed in water and, and it just being everywhere around you, which is weird because I'm a fire sign, so I don't know what that says about yeah. me. <laughs> See, I like, swim- I like swimming in a pool, but not the sea. I don't know. You should come to the Lido with me. It's so much fun. Yeah, I have to do that. Should we start talking about history? Yeah, let's do it. That's what the people are here for. <laughs> <laughs> it, this might be quite a short episode, um, and there's a reason for that. But that's okay, because we had a long one last week. Okay, have you ever heard of Aubrey Beardsley? Uh, no, I haven't. So, as some of you know, it's my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and on my actual birthday, me and my boyfriend went to Tate Britain to see the Aubrey Beardsley exhibition. And I'd seen some of his work like around before but I didn't know anything about his life or seen like the amount of work that they have there because it's a it's quite a long exhibition um I really recommend it you do have to wear masks the whole time you're in there so if you're not okay with wearing a mask for like two hours then maybe just watch it online because they've started putting like videos up oh that's cool yeah, it's really good, actually. And, like, a lot of museums are doing that. You should go and check out... I know that the Picasso and Paper one is up as well, which is a one I missed because it was on just before lockdown and then it was supposed to continue till, like, September, but now it's gone. Mm. So check that out. But anyway, so Ulber Beardsley is an artist. And so while I'm here, I'm going to go through some of the parts and talk about his different art. And I'm going to actually suggest to you, not just Dan, <laughs> for everyone <laughs> listening, like, things that 
they can put into Google to look at the pictures that I'm talking about that type of art, if that makes sense. Nice. Dan, you can do it too if you want to, you know, you can Google whatever I'm talking about and then you'll be able to see the art I'm talking about. Um, but I try my best to, because I know some people listen to this on the tube or whatever, so I won't be able to do that. But always Google him after you get off the tube, <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay, so Aubrey Beardsley was born, as I said, in Brighton. On the 21st of August, 1872. So just gone past his birthday, actually. Um, His father was called Vincent Paul, and his father was a son of a jeweller. He didn't have a trade himself, and he relied on, like, a private income from his maternal grandfather, who had been a property developer, so he's basically living off inheritance. Mm, Trust one kid. But he also... Yeah. (laughs) But he also (laughs) died quite young. He died at, like, 40 his father so yeah. um that might have been another reason because he was like ill for most of his life his mother was ellen angus pitt who was the daughter of a surgeon major in the indian army a surgeon major is that quite high up is um, that really high up or is that i'm not sure actually i don't really know how like medical rankings work i guess so it yeah i guess so yeah. but you know it sounds like it's quite... Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, her family were, like, well-respected in Brighton, so I'm guessing it was quite high up. Basically, she was seen to have married below her station, so even though he had money, it was inheritance money, so it uh. wasn't, like... Yeah, he wasn't seen to be, like, good enough for her. I guess it's, like, like property, but I think that's, like, like, new money, and maybe, Yeah, like, exactly. It's not, like, like, military, is it? Yeah. So, after their wedding, Vincent actually had to sell some of his property to pay for a break and a promise to marry another woman. So he had already like promised to marry another woman and he was like a widow widow of a vicar or something. And had he had to pay to, like, to go pay. There. Yeah, well Jeez. she basically like went to court and took him to court and everything. Like you promised to marry me. For reneging so, on a marriage. Wow. I guess so. Can yeah. People still Imagine do if that, that happened now. <laughs> Everyone in the whole of the like bachelor nation would have to pay a whole lot of money. So Aubrey Bidzi had an older sister called Mabel, who was a year younger. And at the time of their birth, they lived at 12 Buckingham Road, which is still there. Though the numbers are different, apparently. If you'd like to go there in Brighton when you're there, <laughs> send me a picture. Unfortunately, um, Bidzi's father lost his fortune soon after his birth and the family had to move to London in 1883 so Vincent could work for the West India and Panama Telegraph Company. He also worked as a clerk in other breweries and the family spent the next 20 years in rented properties fighting poverty. Oh so even though they started off well, it went downhill quickly. I don't know whether that's because his father like spent all the inheritance money or something like that. Or there was, like, debts or something. I'm not really sure. But something along those lines. He wasn't, like, an alcoholic or anything. Like, a gambler. I don't actually know. There wasn't... I couldn't really find that information about, like, why. But my guess would be that he spent all the money. Because if he doesn't have a trade... Yeah. Wow, just going going straight through this trust fund. I mean, in some ways, that's impressive. Not good impressive, (laughs) but impressive nonetheless. Well, it depends how large the trust fund was, I suppose, because he, Mm. like, had it and then married, had two children, so maybe that that's, you know, that's where it all went. In 1884, Aubrey appeared in public as an infant musical phenomenon and played several concerts with his sister. So this is, you know, he's only, like, 
eight at the time and he's already like in the public eye as being like this creative genius so Ah, we can see where we're going with this so the father tried to make the money back by creating the early osmonds (laughs) yeah did you not know that's what he would know Um, So in January 1885, he began attending a grammar school in Brighton, where he spent the next four years. This is where he discovered drawing and writing. His poems, drawings and cartoons first appeared in the school's magazine, Past and Present. So this is where his first, like, debut was. And in 1888, Aubrey got a job in an architect's office, and afterwards at the Guardian Life and Fire Insurance Company, just, like, working as a clerk, yeah, like, filing and stuff. And he hated it, as all creators yeah. hate their jobs. <laughs> Undoubtedly. I mean, most people hate their jobs. But, what did he know. do at the architect firm? He was a clerk. Okay, just not, so he wasn't actually, like... like no, he wasn't like, drawing or anything. Drawing he was just, okay. like, yeah, he was just, like, filing and stuff. There's um, In the exhibition, there were some cool drawings... Um, done by himself and and done by others of him like working as a clerk um so they're quite cool to look up okay i'm gonna go chronologically so some artists like thematically kind of work better but this one the theme kind of moves with the times so when he was 18 he met edward Byrne jones um you may have heard that name before he's a pre-raphaelite painter and he really admired him Byrne jones looked at his portfolio and said I seldom or never advise anyone to take up art as a profession, but in your case, I can do nothing else. So even Byrne Jones was impressed with him at 18. High praise. Because of this and other factors, he attended Westminster School of Art for a short time under Professor Fred Brown, and this was in 1892. He really longed for fame and recognition throughout his whole life. He was tall, spotlessly clean, and very well-groomed. He was noted for his, like, dandyism look. Lower bear dandyism. <laughs> a little bit. Da- dandyism. <laughs> um, he had a fascination with anti-natural and the bizarre sexual freedom and gender fluidity. So he's a kind of icon for that community. Although he was attracted to women, he was also a pioneer for like the queer identity. And he mainly, cool. but he mainly used like literature and art to explore sexuality. There's no like evidence to say really that he was sexual. In any way. Okay. So if you'd like to have a Google to look at a Beardsley work, you can look at Le Mort de Arthur and then type in Le Mort de Arthur Beardsley. Yes, that's in French, I apologise. Kind of like illustrations. Yes. Um, I mean, well, if you type in his name into Wikipedia, it comes up as illustrator oh, as opposed well, to really artist. Cool. Yeah, they're amazing. So for those of you that can't Google right now, don't know what his work looks like, he mainly worked in pen. He barely ever used colour. And it's that kind of very quirky almost Otto Dixie style black and white weirdness so he received his first commission in 1892 his friend Frederick H. Evans who was a photographer and bookseller introduced him to J.M. Dent Dent was a publisher looking for an illustrator for Le Mort d'Arthur Sir Thomas Malroy's 15th century version of the legends of King Arthur so obviously in French is that the death of Arthur uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so between 1892 and June 1984, Bidzi produced 353 drawings, including double page illustrations, elaborate border designs, ornamental chapter headings. He received £250 over the course of this commission. Doesn't sound like a lot, but if you look it up on the great website of how much is that today, (laughs) that's over £20,000. This job freed him up to leave his job as a clerk and focus on art. 
He's escaped. He's living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> I hate him. But yeah, also love him. So over time, he grew tired of this brief and kind of went off piste with it. <laughs> he started including characters such as mermaids and goat-legged creatures from classical mythology. The illustrations were reproduced in this new block printing process where the illustrations were transferred from printing plates photographically. And this was like brand new. Mm. So this meant he had to change his style because it was very detailed at first and he was disappointed about how it came out but his he adapted his t- like over time so that style would suit so you can see like the development of his style because of the block printing which is really oh, interesting. interesting okay so now you can google beardsley japanese which is i'm sure something oh, you'll be very is, interested yeah, in seeing. Is... <laughs> but yeah uh, these other ones are really cool there's kind of like a it's kind of like a classical kind of a look about them, but also... They're absolutely amazing. I love his um, border designs. Yeah, they're really cool. They're so good. It's kind of like a cla- like a cross between like classical kind of like art from like, I don't know, like the medieval period and um, like comic book illustrations. Yeah, absolutely. He he's when I um we got in there as soon as we got in there we were like, this is like Miyazaki. This is like you know um Japanese anime manga kind of yeah. stuff going on here. So, but he, this is the this is the eighteen nineties. So this is yeah, pre that. So if you're looking at the Beardsley Japanese pictures, you can see that he was very influenced by this craze. So in the nineteen sixties Europe, they had a craze for. Japanese visual culture and Beardsley grew up around the western interpretations of Japanese art. So in the summer of 1891 he and his sister visited the London mansion of the shipping magnate Frederick Leyland. He saw the Peacock Room which was created by James McNeil Whistler. Another name you should know. The room borrowed and reworked Japanese motifs and Beardsley began to introduce the details in his drawings. He also adopted the, oh, you probably, probably could pronounce this better than me, but it's the Yukayo Yi, which Yukai. is like Jap- Japanese woodcock prints. Oh, okay then. Areas of flat pattern contrasted with precisely drawn figures. So either like abstract or empty backgrounds mm-hmm. and just like really detailed figures. He also drew in tall, narrow formats of the Japanese, is it Keiko Mono scrolls? Uh... Or Kakimono Kaki Mo- Scrolls. Yeah, Kakimono. Yeah, Kaki Scrolls. He said in a letter to a friend, I struck for myself an entirely new method of drawing and composition, something suggestive of the pan. These subjects were quite mad and a little indecent. So this is where he starts to become a bit more indecent. <laughs> <laughs> so try googling the studio Beardsley. So Beardsley came into public notice in April... 1893, he was the subject of an, of an article in the art magazine, The Studio. The article was called A New Illustrator. Joseph Pennell was a graphic art expert and said of him, quite as remarkable in its execution as in its innovation, a very rare combination. The article highlighted how photographic line block printing showed the true quality of an artist's line. And you can see from Bidzi's work, they like, he can draw... The, just the, his lines hmm. everything is like line drawn and he can he's one of those people that can draw a straight line you know like freehand oh yeah yeah I, I can't yeah. remember it was someone famous said yeah if you can draw like a perfect circle that's a sign of a good artist 
they obviously that's rubbish because no one can draw a perfect circle it only exists in Plato's world of forms <laughs> so the reproductions in the studio included illustrations for the forthcoming Le Mort d'Arthur and examples of his Japanese style art this led to further commissions for journals books and magazines such as the Pall Mall magazine J.M. Den also invited him to create hundreds of tiny grotesque in inverted commas <laughs> illustrations for the Bon Mons series of three miniature books of witty sayings and by grotesque we mean like strange and fantasy not like how the world is used now yeah I'm about to say does that include the uh, the Medusa picture because that is really cool <laughs> yeah and um, we're getting on some of those don't worry <laughs> the greek is coming up um and he said of his own art i am nothing if i am not grotesque okay so now we're going to talk about oh, his no. relationship with oscar wilde ah. um google salome beardsley that's s-a-l-o-m-e so Bidzu was close with Oscar Wilde, and this came about because of a commission. So in 1892, Bidzu made a drawing in response to Salome, which is Oscar Wilde's play written in French and based on a biblical story. So actually, Bidzu was fluent in French, and originally he actually asked if he, if Wilde and the publisher wanted him to translate it, but instead they wanted him to do the illustrations. So, in the story, Salome falls in love with John the Baptist and he rejects her. She then demands his head from her stepfather, who was Herod, as a reward for performing, like, a specific dance. And Bidzi depicted Salome about to kiss his severed head in this picture. And Wilde, like, loved it. And he was like, this guy has to illustrate my play. John Lane, who was the publisher and Wilde, chose Bidzi to illustrate the English translation of the play. Uh, by the way, I did look this up and you can buy this on Amazon. <laughs> it's so awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, they must have reprinted it or something because, like, maybe I don't know whether it's in response to the Tate thing, but it's on Prime. So <laughs> the illustrations put together sensuality, death, and both Bidzi and Wild absolutely love them. You'll be able to see when you Google them, they're very out there. Like, they show this biblical story in this kind of grotesque strange fantastical style he liked to have provocative elements in his drawings like you had to almost look under a microscope or like turn them upside down to be able to see these like provocative elements so they're kind of so well hidden lane who was the publisher actually needed to censor some of the problematic details in the page title uh, in the title page and two other drawings so like for example like penises and vaginas were like oh, hidden um, victorian england yeah it is it is, it is victorian it's literally victorian <laughs> england so yeah that i mean kind of a piano table like leg <laughs> Um, so you had to do, like, some new drawings, etc. However, there are erotic editors that lay missed, and Beardsley's drawings also include caricatures of Wilde himself. For the play, he produced 18 designs, and 10 appeared in the first printing, and then in 1907, all of the, all of the drawings were issued by Lane in, like, a portfolio. Okay, Google Beardsley posters. It's like interactive podcasting. Oh, hang on, I recognise some of these. You probably would, because they're a very particular style. Maybe you don't recognise the exact ones, but they're in this style. Yeah, yeah. So he first travelled to Paris in 1892 and was interested in all the posters he could see around the city. So at that time, like, there were posters everywhere, like on all the walls in Paris, and like there were just like 
the rage. He experimented with the design, knowing that they could often be seen at a distance. So it was like bold, simple forms, like solid blocks of colour. And this is the first time that like posters were like large scale printed. Mm. And so you guys might have seen the one that's like a cat with like a yellow background and a red like kind of street that's such a famous Mm. poster that's from the time um in the autumn of 1894 the first ever english exhibition of posters opened in london this included people like jules it's gonna i'm so anglicized sherer sherer probably it's like (laughs) and um henry de luce la crite which I think I think he's the guy who did the cat poster. Okay. Um, the fathers of the modern poster, they're called. And it also included many works by Beardsley. So this put him like on a par with the people that inspired him in Paris, which was awesome. Oh, cool. Um, in terms of like social circle, some of the key figures in his life were William Rothenstein, Max Beerbohm, the essayist and caricaturist, and the art critic and dealer Robert Ross, who was the friend and former lover of Oscar Wilde, who was part of the avant-garde literary and artistic circles of the 1890s London. With the publication of Salome in 1894, his fame grew and his circle with it. In his later years, his circle included um, poets W.B. Yeats and Arthur Simmons and the painter Charles Condor. The wealthy French-Russian poet and writer Marc-André Raffolich that's horrible, became an important supporter and patron. Of his most significant friend of the period was Leonard Smithers, his enduring but unscrupulous publisher, who was also very close to his mother and his sister Mabel, which is nice. Now I'm imagining his publisher to be a bit like um, Fraser's agent in Fraser. Oh, I more imagine him to look like Miss, like kind of rotund, like with like a like a bowler hat and like a big moustache. But that's how I imagine most Victorian men to look like. So that's not like. I mean, more character-wise, just uh, yeah, just completely, completely without scruples. Um. Okay. Now Google Beardsley the Yellow Book. Cool. So in 1894, Bidsley became the art editor of The Yellow Book, a magazine which was iconic of the decade. It was literally yellow. It was fashionable, urban, ironic and risque. The first volume was an instant and controversial success. The Yellow Book put art and literature on equal footing and Bidsley's drawings completely stole the show. The publication embodied the decadent spirit and one critic said to most Aubrey Beardsley is the yellow book. However, its success was short-lived. In 1895, Oscar Wilde was put on trial for gross indecency and there was a backlash towards the magazine. The public knew that Beardsley was connected with Wilde and Wilde was seen carrying a yellow book during the trial. And even though it wasn't the yellow book, it was like just literally a, like a different yellow book, people oh, connected it and... Crowds broke the windows of the publishing house Jeez. and Lane had no choice but to sack Beardsley. How, how much did the, uh, did, the, did the press push this? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, look at what, what happened in the last 100 years. Um, okay, so Google Beardsley the Savoy. So with this, Beardsley lost his income and also London felt hostile to him. He had to sell his house and he left England for Depuy on the French coast. 
He encountered Leonard Smithers there and he wanted to start a new magazine. This is the guy who we just talked about, who I imagine wrote on to be, he's probably not. Um, <laughs> Beardsley became the art editor of the Savoy and it was launched in 1896. Arthur simmons was in charge of literature at first it was a quarterly and it was very successful but then smithers decided to make it monthly and there was a lot of strain put on it so it folded after a year oh boy um but it was still very significant for the decade um the savoy was published by smithers in britain and smithers was the only publisher at that time who would publish wild or beardsley so he's quite an important character for both those people and if one day i do wild he'll probably come up again (laughs) It's crazy, like, how bad the backlash was against Oscar Wilde. Yeah, and also the people that were connected to him. It's not like Beardsley Hmm. was, like, anything to do with it. Yeah. He just, like, knew him, and he was kind of risque. But he's still, like, young, you know? How old is he now? At this point, he's, like, 20. Oh, really? Like, early 20s. Yeah. So, okay. So we've got illustrations of other works after this. So... Um, if you want, you can Google Beardsley Rape of the Lock. So, in yeah. 1896, Beardsley embarked on the illustration of Alexander Pope's epic poem, The Rake of Rape of the Lock, which was published in 1712. Obviously, rape in this way is meant in the original sense, like theft or abduction, not mm. the way that we use it now. Beardsley was inspired by the French 18th century copper plate engravings, like intricate ones, which he actually collected himself. And the Tate exhibition that is on now, it was one of the first times that these illustrations are actually seen in public. Oh, wow. Um, Also in 1837, he worked on illustrating Theophile Gautier's novel uh, Mademoiselle de Maupin for Leonard Smithers. My French is really being pushed to the limit here. The plot reflects on an ideal unification between male and female attributes, a widely discussed idea in literary and artistic circles in 19th century Europe. In the preface, Gautier promoted art for art's sake, and this would become the doctrine of the aesthetic movement for the late 19th century. Um, in this, he used watercolour in his drawings to soften his style. So this is like really unusual for him, because most of his are... Most of his stuff is block or even black mm. black and white. So it really, really softened it up. And this shows he was exploring new ways of working. So uh, you were talking about like the Greek stuff. You were saying the Medusa and oh, yeah, everything yeah. was fascinating. So try Googling Beardsley Lysistra. So in the summer of 1896, Beardsley was in the south of England and he produced two series of drawings that were very explicit. They were both inspired by classical sources. One was the ancient Greek comedy Lysistra by Aristophanes, and one was Juvel's sixth sat- satire, a misogynistic attack on the morals and sexual habits of the women of ancient Rome. The subjects showed Beardsley's irreverent humour and fascination with sexualities, perhaps including his own frustrations. Smithers encountered him as the publisher who would publish what all the others are afraid to touch. But only a select number of his contemporaries would ever see these drawings. They were published through a private subscription service because they were too sensational to be, like, published in the normal way. No way. I love that. It's kind of like um, an OnlyFans, like, but for the 1890s. <laughs> it really is. Well... These are pretty brilliant, I must say. They're I mean, amazing. I, They're just so scandalous. Like, 
the woman farting in the man's face is particularly brilliant. <laughs> but also, like, so beautifully drawn that you're like... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Weirdly, perhaps prompted by his Catholic faith, on his deathbed, he asked Smithers to destroy all of his obscene drawings, which Smithers ignored. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why we have them. Good on you, Smithers. So I haven't mentioned this before, but for Beardsley's whole life, he had suffered with tuberculosis. In 1896, Beardsley took a trip to Brussels. There he suffered a severe hemorrhage from the lung from which he never fully recovered. He went in search of cleaner air, as his doctors advised. He took up new projects and promptly abandoned them. And then in 1897, he converted to Catholicism and moved to the French Riviera. He died in Menton in the south of France on the 16th of March, 1898, and he was only 25. Oh, man. His mother that and sister harsh. were with him. Yeah, his friend Robbie Ross commented, within six years he produced masterpieces might never have been repeated, but never surpassed. His remains were buried in the Cemetery de Tabquet. And that mm. is it. That's why it's so short, because he was only 25 when he died. Man, that is crazy. I know. Even for then, like, that is young. Yeah, because he had to work... So his father... Um, had tuberculosis as well, so it was like inherited t- tuberculosis. Oh, yikes. Which apparently is a thing. Inherent tuberculosis. And right in there, right in the genes. Hush. Yeah, so he has, but when you go to the, if you see the exhibition or look on, like, on the virtual exhibition, he has thousands of pieces of work. In the time from, like, when he was 18 and he started professionally working as an artist, and up to 25. Or 24, because he probably stopped working like a year before that because he was so ill. He he amassed more work than I think like any other artist I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, like maybe not Turner because Turner has yeah. a thousand things, but like <laughs> thousands <laughs> of pieces of paper. And it's just like, and it, I just think about like what the influence he had, but also the influence he would have had if he had lived longer. Yeah, definitely. But you can see, so the last kind of two rooms in the exhibition are influence. So the first one is like pictures of or about Beardsley by other artists. Okay. So there's like portraits and there's pictures of like, you know, um, people in his circle, etc. And there's his writing desk as well, which is awesome. Mm, um, nice. And then the next one is like the 60s. So he had like a big influence on like the 1960s. Yeah, you can see that. And there's Definitely. one picture that's, like, so rude. They had to put it behind curtains, and they were like, <laughs> discretion is advised, and you have to, like, open the curtains and then shut them again. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. But um, I really love his, like, topography, because he's, like, this... He does all these, like, really awesome, like, letterings, just, like, for, you know, books. You know, at the beginning, when there's, like, one letter that's bigger than all oh, the yeah, rest. Yeah. I don't know there's a word for that, but... I can't yeah, for the I'm life sure remember it, it. But I love those, like, his typography. So that's why he did, like, must have done like, so much because he was illustrating these books. And he just drew for, like, art for art's sake. He just loved it. Yeah, I guess that's what makes... If you want to be, like, a truly prolific, like, artist, that's how you need to, like, operate. You need to be, like, obsessed with it, don't you? Yeah. It stops you from overthinking as well, I think. If you're just doing it for, like, the sake of doing it as opposed to... Mm some other aim or yeah whatever I th- message i think what's fascinating about him is he is he was truly like an illustrator mm. not anything else he was like yeah yeah 
even though he did produce the artworks, he was mainly illustration. And I, I, I mean, apart from modern illustrators like Quentin Blake, obviously, I don't think mm-hmm. I could name like an oldie timey illustrator. <laughs> no. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> All the I illustrators I can name are definitely like modern ones. Yeah, like comic book artists. So well, like going today, Jessie Cave. It's like an awesome, like, she writes awesome comics. Yeah, Quentin mm. Blake is obviously, like, the bomb. And then, obviously, all these Japanese influences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell that, like, you know, he was he was influencing left, right, and center. And I just love it. Um, yeah, we got some pretty awesome postcards from the, <laughs> from <laughs> nice. the exhibition shop. <laughs> which is obviously the be- best part of any exhibition, is the <laughs> exhibition shop. I don't know how I feel though if I was an artist or writer, as I like to think I am, and um, I asked someone to destroy some part of my work, and then they just didn't. Yeah. I know. I but... see the value in it because it's such a beautiful artwork. So I guess maybe he did it in a fit of like Catholicism and tuberculosis. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I mean, like, I think like maybe if he'd uh, if uh, the chance to reflect on that decision, he would have. Uh decided against it so yeah i mean like you wouldn't really want to have your entire life's work destroyed would you no absolutely surely not not, like absolutely not it's like when you say to a friend um like if i die can you like delete all my porn so my mum doesn't see me like this is something that i obviously have personally but i am someone's person that will delete their porn for them like i'm that person i'll be like don't worry man i got you unless of course um, they, they made their own porn in which case you'd be like well would you really want me to delete the porn <laughs> maybe i should distribute this porn that would be your when you said wish. delete you meant distribute right <laughs> Yes, yeah, definitely the Victorian version of that, isn't it? <laughs> so what are you doing tonight to cheer yourself up from your rubbish day of work? I don't know. I don't think there is anything that I can do to cheer myself up. <laughs> what are you cooking or having cooked for you? I don't know. I haven't chosen yet. I need to think about that. I need to think quicker. Hmm. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. going to have some delicious vegetable soup. You've had my soup before. Very nice. Yeah, it was tasty. Yeah. Not that one, different one, but still going to be just as tasty. Because I feel Very like I need nice. some some vegetables. Today, um, the pollen count has been like super high and I've been dozing yeah, off like all day. Yeah, I've noticed that. Mm. Yeah, I've been sneezing like crazy. So I need some vegetables. Very nice. Fresh bread to go with it. Oh yeah. Wow, it's rich. It's fresh. Very nice. As fresh as I can get. <laughs> Uh, so thank you everyone for listening so far please subscribe wherever you're listening to this and follow us on twitter and instagram at have you ever pod and let us know if there's anyone that you would be interested in hearing about and we can try and add them to our list yes because i am running out of people to do already now i've got a few few more but ideas will be welcome i've got like three (laughs) biographies like stacked up that i need to like read so I think that yeah, that's no problem. I'm running out of people that I kind of like have enough of a base to kind of do quickly. I'm actually gonna have to start reading books. <laughs> oh, what <laughs> jaw reading books? <laughs> um, we'll see you next time, maybe for a slightly longer one. But for now, bye. bye. bye.